Welcome to Repros Fight Back, a podcast where we explore all things reproductive health rights and justice. I'm your host, Jenny Wetter, and I'll be helping you stay informed around issues like birth control, abortion, sex education, and LGBTQ issues, and much, much more. Giving you the tools you need to take action and fight back. Okay, let's dive in. Hi, Repros. Welcome to this week's special bonus episode. I'm your host, Jenny Wetter. My preferred pronouns are she and her. So the past like week and a half have been just really, really rough weeks for the trans community. It has been full of some really low moments, luckily topped with a really high moment on Monday. You know, it all kicked off with last week. If you follow um, trans people on Twitter, you probably already knew this, but if you don't, this might be new to you until this week, which was J.K. Rowling being a turf and being very anti-trans. So it's something that has been talked about, and I've definitely seen it come up three or four times previously. But for some reason this past time, it really, it, it, it was much more, a much bigger conversation than it has been in the past. And, you know, she really dug in and doubled down on her, her anti-trans stance. And so that kicked off a really shitty week. You know, after that, there were two black trans women who were murdered. Rhea Milton and Dominique Fells, and they were the 13th and 14th trans women who were killed this year so far, according to the Human Rights Campaign. So again, just a shitty week. And it ended last Friday with the Department of Health and Human Services finalizing a rule that they have been working on that will allow doctors to discriminate best based on sexual orientation and gender identity. We'll be talking about that in this episode, so I'm not going to dig too deep on it. So it has been a really, really rough week for the trans community. And you know, as a cis straight white woman, you know, I I can't understand all the emotions and everything they were going through. I can feel a lot of empathy for them and, you know, reach out to the people in my life to make sure they were doing okay. But it was a really rough week. And I I don't know about you all, but when I logged into Twitter on Monday to see what Supreme Court decisions were going to be handed down, I was nervous. I was nervous. You know, there's some big decisions. We're waiting on June Medical Services about abortion access. You know, we were waiting on the LGBTQ, three LGBTQ cases. I was nervous. There was nothing good that was going to come out. I, I was sure. I was really worried. And... <laughs> When I saw the first tweets coming in that we won on LGBTQ discrimination in the workplace, I think I had to check like three or four different sources before I believed it. It was so amazing. It was such a needed victory. And today's guest actually wrote a piece about uh, what a great win and how needed it was for the trans community. So make sure to read Caitlin Burns' piece on Vox about 
the Supreme Court has given trans people reason to hope again. I'll make sure to include it in our show notes. It was so needed and I was so happy and so excited and emotional seeing that. And then I saw someone tweet about the late Amy Stevens, who was the plaintiff in the trans case. Her wife tweeted, we won, and I just started crying. It just, it was such a long road and Amy did not make it to see the end, but it was so good to see that they won. And I am just so excited. It's not the end. There's still so many fights to have, as you will see in this episode. But it was a big win. And let's sit in that for a little bit, because it was needed in all the dark times we've had right now. So today, I'm going to talk to one of my favorite people to talk to about reproductive health and rights and LGBTQ issues, and that's Caitlin Burns, a political reporter at Vox. I am really excited to get to talk to Caitlin about everything that has been going on. We get to talk about the really high highs of the Supreme Court case and the really low low of the new HHS rule, and I'm excited for you all to hear our conversation. So with that, I'll take you to my interview with Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on. I'm always excited when I get to talk to you. And (laughs) it's actually good news, at least most of it, which is nice. Yeah, definitely. So before we get started, do you want to do a quick introduction, who you are and your preferred pronouns? Yes, uh, my name is Caitlin Burns. I'm a political reporter at Vox and I cover LGBT issues in general politics and my pronouns are she her thanks so i i think we just have to jump right in like and talk about the supreme court like it is so exciting (laughs) good news for once i know uh so i guess before we get to the good part we should talk about like what are the cases they were deciding because there were a couple of them yes yes so we've we've talked about these cases before but there are essentially three different cases that were combined into one that were trying to determine whether discrimination against LGBT people in employment situations is actually against the law under Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. They had oral arguments last October that feels so long and ago. I know. <laughs> it was before the world fell apart. And, um, and you know, I think that, at least for myself and a lot of my trans friends, you know, this is the first major trans rights case, the first trans rights case in general to hit the high court. So I think we had sort of lowered expectations especially with the, the the court's conservative lean and thinking, you know, it's our first time out. They don't know anything about us. Like, we shouldn't get too excited for a good result. But as it turns out, we won. <laughs> I know. I uh, said this when we were talking before this, but, like, honestly, I had to check, like, three different people and what they were saying before I like, <laughs> sunk in that this was real and really happening. Yeah, I kept expecting to wake up on Tuesday 
and have it all be a dream. <laughs> yeah, like I just I was so ready for I guess, you know, it's one of those things like you're kind of expecting the worst, but you like, you don't know how much you were expecting it until you see like, oh my God, it's like the good thing. Yeah. And, and the decision itself had a couple of surprises. I mean, not just the result, but that the, 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 the opinion was written by Neil Gorsuch of all people. I know. And it was 6'3". <laughs> and, and it was 6'3". I think the most surprising part, which hasn't been discussed as much as I thought it would, is that um, Chief Justice Roberts joined the majority as well, which prevented, you know, a 5-4 decision. So I thought that was actually even more interesting than mm-hmm. Gorsuch writing the opinion. I mean, it's not common for, like, the most, like, for the swing vote to write the opinion. <laughs> um, that's often the way it goes with the court, just because there's a lot of wheeling and dealing in the background. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Roberts also joined with the majority, I think, is is very significant. Yeah, that was uh, I. I was yeah, same. I, like I really expected it to be a five four decision. Wasn't necessarily sure which way it was going to swing. Um, so when I saw it was six three, it was pretty shocking. Yeah. Although I am slightly uncomfortable with the sort of liberal celebration of Neil Gorsuch now because, oh, I mean, you know, June Medical is coming any day now. I, I Somehow this has made me even more pessimistic about June Medical, <laughs> which I did not yes. think was possible. Yeah, I, I don't have high hopes for that one. But let's not get too too off track. Yeah, topic so sorry that, was, that I was invited for. <laughs> but it's the there can't be two good things. Like it's definitely going to be all terrible now. But let's focus yeah. on the good. <laughs> yes. So what what is this going to mean? What does this mean for the LGBTQ community? Yeah. So simply put, it means it's illegal to fire people for being gay or trans or bisexual. Which still was in so many states. Yeah, so I, I forget exactly how many states it was still legal in, but it was it was more than a dozen. I think it was seventeen, but I don't want to be quoted exactly on that. I, for some reason, I was thinking twenty-seven. So clearly, yeah. So it's probably a number with a seven in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's a lot pretty. More than it should have been. Yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty significant validation, especially of transgender jurisprudence over the last couple of decades. You know, I was speaking with somebody else this morning and I noted that like, you know, gay and lesbian people have been bringing Title VII claims to the Supreme Court for 50 years, 60 years. Like this is not anything new. Like going back to Stonewall times, this claim has been litigated over and over and over again. I think... What happened? And I'm not like a legal expert. I'm not an attorney, but I'm just somebody who sort of has to know the history in order to explain it in my journalism. But I really think what happened is trans people all of a sudden started making these claims. And it did take a couple of decades, but the way that trans people were able to argue these Title VII cases, I think, opened the door for more success on the LGB side, which is sort of backwards of how you think about mm-hmm. queer rights in the U.S., where it's always been the white cis normative, uh, you know, gays that that 
got theirs first. I really do think in this case, it was trans people who sort of paved the way for the rest of the community from a legal standpoint. I remember you were having that thought when we talked in the fall because you thought there was a strong possibility it could be a split decision and that the trans side would be the the good decision and the the others were would not be. Yeah, and it's it's simply because when you're discriminating against a trans person, it's very obviously due to at least something related to the trans person's sex. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the LGBT side, there's just one more step to it. So the, the legal argument becomes a little bit more complicated, where it's it is based on the employee sex, which is what Gorsuch found, but it's also dependent on the sex of the person they're dating. So it's just one extra step, but I think to get there, the sort of legal foundation needed to be built before we could do that. And of course, there's cultural aspects to this too. I mean, if LGBT people weren't, you know, more and more accepted all the time, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Right. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the things I've seen talking about, like, this could have huge implications for other areas where we're seeing Mm -hmm. discrimination, um, particularly around the trans community. So I guess that takes us to the bad news, (laughs) which is last week was a week. Yeah, it was a very bad week. Yeah, it was a week. And it ended on Friday with the final rule that the Department of Health and Human Services put out allowing discrimination in in healthcare. Do you mean we want to talk a little bit about so what 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 is this new rule? Yeah, so it the rule replaces an Obama era rule which determined that LGBT people were included in the definition of sex-based discrimination. So the Trump administration rolled that back. But interestingly, they also, within the same rule, there were protections for people who were seeking an abortion or had an abortion in the past, which was also wiped out by the Trump administration with the rule on Friday. So it was something that we've expected for a long time. There's been ongoing litigation about it, but it didn't make the finalization of the rule any less devastating. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was talking to somebody who sits on a board at a hospital and was talking about how this just got finalized. And they were like, I I thought this just went away. Like, I thought it was done and it it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. No, I mean, I always expected it to happen. You know, the administration has been clear from day one that they were committed, especially to rolling back the rights of trans people through any means necessary. So, yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. So what what is this going to mean for the for trans people in particular trying to access health care now? Well, it's a little bit muddled now because of the Supreme Court decision. Mm-hmm. The significant part about the Supreme Court decision as it applies to the HHS rule is that Gorsuch said that discrimination against trans people is sex-based discrimination because you're making decisions at least in part because of, you know, an individual sex, which is how the statute reads. Now, 
Title VII only applies to employment decisions, so we will have to unfortunately relitigate this again. But the fact that the Supreme Court has defined sex discrimination this way, I think, bodes well for people who are challenging the new rule. But for practical purposes, let's pretend that SCOTUS didn't make their decision. What it means, what what it means is, is that healthcare providers and insurers can now legally discriminate against LGBT people, and of course that that especially hits hard for trans people because we need the medical system, you know, to transition, even though not all trans people choose to transition. So potentially, you could see doctors who just refuse to see trans people in the first place. I think I've told this story before, but there was a trans man named George Eads in the 90s who uh, developed ovarian cancer. And, you know, he went to, to get it diagnosed, he had a biopsy done, and then he never heard from the doctor. And a couple of weeks later, like a, a patient support person called and said, how are you dealing with your diagnosis? And he goes, what diagnosis? And at that point, he he found out that he actually had cancer, and he called his doctor back and said, "Hey, why didn't you call me to t- you know talk about the diagnosis to my treatment?" And the doctor's response was, "Well, to be honest, when I saw that you were transsexual, my first thought was to send you to psychiatry and not treat your cancer." So Eads ended up not being able to find an oncologist who would treat his cancer, and he he passed away from it. So that's, you know, a scenario where the Trump administration is now would now allow that to happen again. That story breaks my heart every time I yeah. hear it. And it's not a lone story. And now the Trump administration is trying to make that the story for so many people. Yeah. I mean, if you read the rule, they try to make it out to be, oh, hospitals can legally misgender a trans person, right? Because to their base, that's a meaningless act. Mm-hmm. Or they can they can register somebody according to their birth assigned sex, even if they object to it. They try to make it sound like it's that, but really they there is no like legal basis for trans people to fight back against like the the Eid situation. So the good news is this is I think it's Robert Eads, by the way, not George. Oh, okay. <laughs> the good news is that the SCOTUS decision could hopefully stop this rule from starting to go into effect. Yeah, I think it makes a, a litigation against it a lot easier. I I don't think that it's I don't think that the, the Supreme Court decision directly will be able to overturn the rule, but I think it makes litigation easier to argue. I know that. Chase Strangio, who was one of the ACLU attorneys to work on the Supreme Court case that won this week, tweeted that the HHS rule is dead because of the the Supreme Court decision. I'd like to think that's true, but I know that there's a lot of litigation to go before we get there. Yeah. I don't expect the administration to just give up. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that I feel like I've seen a lot of coverage on is worries about what happens when someone brings a religious challenge to this. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have those same concerns? I do. 
I think it's possible that we see like a Rifra challenge to this, mm-hmm. which is, and I assume you're familiar with that. Yeah, maybe just like the two second version. <laughs> the Religious Freedom Referi- uh, Restoration Act. Restoration Act. Yes, thank you. Sorry. I knew I was going to mess that up. You, some of these you get so used to the acronym. <laughs> right. And it basically it is designed to protect um, mainly religious organizations from violating their their religious conscious, you know, as it pertains to certain rules. So I, I do imagine we're going to see extensive refer challenges to this decision, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Gorsuch write the opinion going the other way on those. But we'll take the win for now. <laughs> yeah, no, this does not take away from the win for now because yes. it is much needed and every little bit of excitement right now. Yeah. So there's actually a Republican bill bouncing around that would basically enshrine civil rights for LGBT LGBT people while also carving wide swaths of religious exemptions throughout the bill. So I'd be interested to see particularly the Republican-controlled Senate if they're going to take that up. Yeah, I've also seen a really big push trying to get the Equality Act passed. Yes. So the Equality Act would essentially take that Supreme Court decision and extend it through other areas of life, like public accommodations, like hotels or cabs or buses or ride shares to healthcare and housing and education without religious exemptions. So I do think that we'll still see Republican objections to that, but we'll see if it comes for a floor vote. I know there was... There was a big letter put out today by uh, Tammy Baldwin's office that was signed by all of the Democratic senators and Susan Collins asking Mitch McConnell to bring the Equality Act for a vote. So we're keeping an eye on that. So as a Wisconsinite who now lives in D.C. and has no Senate representation, (laughs) I always claim Tammy Baldwin. And it makes me so happy to see her doing this. Yes, she's fantastic. She's she's actually the first person I ever voted for because back when I was living on campus in Madison, she was uh, in, running for the house and representing Madison. So, oh wow, that's great. I, that that was that I claim her all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I really it, it, it's been you know up and down with the two things, but I I really. I'm hopeful that with the Supreme Court decision, there's going to be some momentum to keep the positive change happening around particularly trans issues. Yeah, I would be surprised if we didn't see some sort of legislative fight over this with either of those bills. I know there were several Republicans who said that they did not object to the decision. Frankly, I think there's a lot of Republicans who don't really care about LGBT issues and are kind of tired of talking about them, but they will never admit that. I mean, kind of fair. Like, I don't want to have to talk about it either. Like, maybe just do the right thing and we wouldn't have to fight. Right. And I know, like, um, Senator Portman from Ohio actually praised the decision, so I don't know if he'll be the next sort of Republican domino to fall, but even Mitt Romney seemed open to... Hmm. to the change, which was surprising to me. Yeah, that's a little surprising. Yeah. Although, you know, I should say, like, the Mormon community... Hey! <laughs> right Hi, in the microphone. 
I will say the Mormon community has not shied away from at least making concessions on LGBT rights of late. That's a nice Especially change. in Utah. Yeah. It, you know, and they're not like pro LGBT by any means, but like Utah has had a very serious LGBT teen suicide problem for a long time and they recognize that reality. So they've decided to at least do the bare minimum. So maybe we shouldn't be that surprised that Mitt Romney is softening on this. Yeah, no, that's sad, but fair. (laughs) So with all of the stuff that's happening, is there anything that listeners can do? Is there any actions that people should be taking right now? Yes. Call your senator and ask for a vote on the Equality Act. Ask them to support the Equality Act, especially if you have a Republican senator, especially if you live in Kentucky and can call Mitch McConnell's office. And as a shameless plug, as somebody who lives in D.C., while you're on the phone, ask them to support D.C. statehood. That, too. That would be wonderful. That's moving at the moment. Yes. So, Caitlin, this was delightful. I always love talking to you about these things. Yeah, it's always fabulous. And I'm glad it was good news because it's so weird. It's so weird. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Caitlin. I always love talking to her. It was uh, really nice to speak to her. With that, we might have another bonus episode if there are cases that have been are decided between now and our next uh, regularly scheduled episode. So keep an eye out. We'll try and get something up within a couple of days of Supreme Court cases that we have talked about on the case uh, on the podcast. And with that, I hope everybody is doing well. And if you have any questions or anything you want to reach out to me about, always feel free to shoot me an email at Jenny with an IE at reprosfightback.com. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at reprosfightback and on Instagram at reprosfb. Otherwise, I will see you in two weeks. Thanks. For more information, including show notes from this episode and previous episodes, please visit us at our website at reprosfightback.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at reprosfightback and on Instagram at reprosfb. If you like our show, please help others find it by sharing it with your friends and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.